From the great state of Ohio, Buckeye Firearms Association presents Keep and Bear Radio, fighting for Second Amendment rights, calling out media lies, and telling the gun grabbers to come and take it. Now, Keep and Bear Radio. Isn't it interesting? how activists and politicians express outrage when there's discrimination against one class of people, but show no interest when there's discrimination against another class of people. For example, the financial sector has been discriminating against the firearms industry for decades, and some people think that's just fine. But now there's a bill that would stop corporations seeking government contracts from engaging in this discrimination. That's what we're going to talk about on this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. I'm Dean Reek, Executive Director of Buckeye Firearms Association, and in a few minutes, I'll be joined by a special guest to discuss this vital legislation. But first, I'm going to get on my soapbox for a few minutes and give you some background so you can understand just how important this bill really is. I'm talking about House Bill 297, the Firearm Industry Non-Discrimination Act. It's sponsored by Ohio State Representative Scott Wiggum. This critical legislation would stop corporations seeking government contracts from discriminating against the firearm and ammunition industry and infringing on the ability of law-abiding citizens to exercise their Second Amendment rights. To show just how bad this discrimination can get, let's get into the Wayback Machine and travel all the way back to 2013. There was a program called Operation Choke Point. You've probably heard about it. It started during the Obama administration, and it was run out of the Department of Justice. It investigated banks and their business dealings with certain categories of businesses, which they believed were at high risk for fraud and money laundering. This included credit repair services, dating services, escort services, get-rich-quick products, online gambling, pornography, and many others. And guess what other industry they included on that list? Firearm and ammunition dealers. Whatever the original motivation, Operation Chokepoint went beyond the legal limits of the program and turned into a politically motivated effort to deny services to the firearms industry and other industries the Obama administration just didn't like. And here's how it worked. There were two primary entities involved. First, the Department of Justice, or the DOJ. Second, the FDIC, or the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. The DOJ is composed of federal law enforcement agencies, including the U.S. Marshal Service, the FBI, the ATF, and the DEA. The department is headed by the U.S. Attorney General, who is nominated by the President and confirmed by the U.S. Senate. The FDIC is an independent agency created by Congress to maintain stability and public confidence in the nation's financial system. It provides deposit insurance to thousands of financial institutions. 
The FDIC also examines and supervises certain financial institutions for safety and soundness, performs certain consumer protection functions, and they deal directly with banks and financial service providers around the country. So what happened was the DOJ fed information to the FDIC and pressured them. They secretly pressured FDIC officials and bank executives, threatening them with criminal prosecution if they didn't cooperate. And the FDIC communicated with banks and financial service providers, putting pressure on them. The intent was to choke off certain types of businesses, cutting them off from banking and financial services. The problem, there was no due process. They didn't have to show that there was any violation of law. Entire categories of businesses, including firearm businesses, were just cut off. They had difficulty getting loans, credit card processing, opening checking accounts. The Wall Street Journal exposed this operation in August of 2013 when they began a series of investigative reports bringing Operation Chokepoint into the public eye. It caused an uproar. There were hearings, lawsuits, and criticism over the next four years. And the program officially ended in August of 2017. The FDIC, after settling a variety of lawsuits, promised additional training for its examiners and promised to stop telling banks who they can or can't do business with. Now, this wasn't just conspiracy theory. This actually happened. An article in the American Banker from November of 2018 said this, Operation Chokepoint was real, and it exceeded legal limits. Overwhelming evidence in the form of more than 900 pages of newly unsealed emails and depositions proves government officials illegally targeted lawful businesses in an ideological crusade based on personal disdain. Now, Obama and the bureaucrats in his administration didn't invent this sort of discrimination. It was happening before his administration. What they did, however, was weaponize it and turn it into Operation Chokepoint. And today, even with that operation ended, the discrimination continues. Many businesses continue to abuse their power to discriminate against those who have done nothing wrong simply because they don't like their products or their politics. And I'll give you just one of many, many examples. PayPal. PayPal provides financial services to the general public. You can send money, buy things, sell things. But in their operating agreement, PayPal forbids transactions related to certain types of products. The list includes narcotics, drug paraphernalia, stolen goods, the promotion of hate, items that are considered obscene, and what else do you think they add to this list? Ammunition, firearms, and certain firearm parts or accessories. This is discrimination at the highest level, aimed not just at individuals, but an entire industry. It is widespread. It's not just PayPal. Virtually every financial institution, and today, high-tech companies, target the firearms industry. 
and discriminates unfairly, illegally, unjustly. Now I'm going to step down from my soapbox and let someone else talk for a while. So I want to bring in Chris Lee, the Director of Government Relations and State Affairs for the National Shooting Sports Foundation, or the NSSF, which is the Firearm Industry Trade Association. Hi, Chris. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Dean. Thanks for having me on today. So we're talking about this bill, the Firearm Industry Non-Discrimination Act. And just to get us started off, Chris, can you outline what this act would do? Yeah. So in Ohio, this bill is known as House Bill 297-297, and it is sponsored by Representative Scott Wiggum. All this bill would do is add a provision in government contracts throughout Ohio that would require verification that the company that is seeking the contract does not discriminate against the firearm industry. And this applies to whether written policies, stated policies, guidance, directives, internal practices, and and the list goes on. So it, it just focuses on contracts and says that the state will not do business with corporations that are trying to trying to trash the Second Amendment rights of Ohioans, looking out for the taxpayer dollars in that way. What about the argument that some people might make that, you know, look, businesses should be able to establish their own policies and government shouldn't be telling them what they can or cannot do. How far does this bill actually go? Right. So, you know, businesses in Ohio can have these policies and this bill is not attempting to tell companies that they absolutely have to do business with the firearm industry. This bill is just saying that the, the state represents taxpayers and taxpayers value their Second Amendment rights and doesn't want these taxpayer dollars to be benefiting companies through contracts that uh, are trying to trash their Second Amendment rights on the side. So, so we're not trying to tell companies that they have to do business with the firearm industry with this bill. We're, we're really just trying to say that taxpayer dollars aren't going to be used to benefit companies that are trying to restrict Second Amendment rights by backdoor channels um, and discrimination. Um, what about other states? I heard that in Georgia and Wyoming, that they've passed this kind of legislation. Is this happening anywhere else? Yeah, this bill has been introduced in somewhere between 10 and 12 states so far in the past year. Um, And it's very various stages through um, the process in each of those states. And as you said, Georgia actually passed this law, I I believe it was in 2016, and Wyoming passed their law about a month ago. And the bill actually... um, uh, a bill that almost matches this one um, explicitly was passed out of the Texas Senate yesterday after it passed out of the Texas House last month. And we're, we're expecting the, go- the governor in Texas to sign this bill into law. So we'll be up to three states where this bill is law. And like I said, it, it is moving in several others. Um, one thing that I do want to point out is the bills in Wyoming and Georgia actually are laid out a little bit differently in that they don't deal with state contracts. They actually make it unlawful and they allow um, in various ways for either individual companies to bring a lawsuit under this law against the the discriminating institution or um, the attorney general in those states can actually take action on behalf of the firearm industry against companies that are uh, institutions that are trying to, to discriminate against the firearm industry and second amendment. Now, the uh, NSSF has done some research on the extent of this problem, you know, to see how widespread it is, what kind of discrimination is going on around the country. Can you tell us what that research found? Yeah. So we did um, surveys of, of industry 
And we found that 75% of the firearm industry has actually been denied, and this was explicit to financial services, have been denied financial services because, solely because of their affiliation with the firearm industry and Second Amendment. About 50% of those cases involved credit processing, payment processing. 41% involved credit. And then there were other uh, banking services that were denied as well um, that we were told about. But a big issue, like I said, the majority of the issues dealt involved payment processing, which is absolutely um, essential to any business. I can tell you that Buckeye Firearms Association has experienced this as well. We used to have an account with a company called Square, and it's it's literally a little white square. You plug it into a device like a phone, computer, whatever, and you can swipe credit cards on it. We were doing an event and found out during that event that our account had just been canceled. They did not give any explanation other than saying that we had somehow violated their policies. The only thing we could figure was that we're called Buckeye Firearms Association. We weren't selling firearms. We'd not done anything illegal. They just canceled us. And that's actually not unusual. We've had a lot of people tell us, people who run gun shops, FFLs, others that have affiliated businesses, that they've had a hard time finding people to give them credit card services. You know, that will take the credit card so you can swipe it and, and do business that way. And if you can't do business with credit cards these days, you basically can't do business. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think, you know, when we sent out those surveys to, to find that 75% of our industry has been affected by this, um, we also asked for people to give um, testimony to tell what they experienced. And if I could really briefly, I just want to give you a couple examples of what this, what this typically looks like. And actually two of these, three of these four examples are from Ohio. So the first involves companies that make camouflage bags bags that are used for hunting to go to the range with. Um, we actually heard from a company that said that all we do is make soft goods. That's all we make camouflage bags and such. And, and we were told that we weren't going to be, um, we were denied a loan. And when we inquired as to why we were denied a loan, we were informed that it's because we um, make bags for hunting and going to the shooting range. And we're, we're too close to the firearm industry. And that that financial institution had a policy of not dealing with the firearm industry. So this company just trying to make bags and trying to make cases uh, was denied alone. The second example um, is a, a business that had been in business for 30 years, banking with the same financial institution for those 30 years. And things were going well and they were passionate about the firearm industry and Second Amendment. So they decided to open up a, a firearm retailer on the side. When they did that, they heard from their bank and the bank said, not only are we not going to have involvement through lending or credit or whatever with the firearm retailer that you just opened, but we're also going to cut up, cut off our, our business relationships with your company that we've been working with for 30 years. Another example is that we, we heard from actual companies, bigger manufacturers and some retailers that when their employees get their paychecks at the end of the week, they can't go directly to just any bank and deposit their paychecks in their banking accounts. These banks, because they don't do business with the firearm industry, they won't allow for just employees of a firearm retailer to deposit their paychecks into, or to even have a, to even have a savings account or a checking account just because they work in the firearm industry. And the, the last example that um, 
that I want to give to you. Um, and this actually would surprise a lot of people because I think a lot of people think that these banks and, and other companies, these big tech companies are only targeting manufacturers of, of maybe ARs. That's not the case. We, we know that these policies, these anti-firearm, anti-2A policies are also targeting makers of gun safes. We, we've heard from law enforcement that actually teach, law, law enforcement officers that actually teach firearm safety courses on the side, and they've been denied business services, financial services by financial institutions. So it's not just makers of ARs, it's every part of the firearm industry, even the ones that deal in firearm safety that are being impacted by these. Now, in my introduction, I was talking about Operation Chokepoint and how that you know, came and went, and it sort of weaponized this kind of discrimination that was already going on. In, in your opinion, do you think that Operation Chokepoint really just made it worse so that, you know, there was this discrimination. They sort of took advantage of that for a few years. Then the program ended, but now obviously it goes on. Do, do you think that that just sort of sent a message that regardless of whether that program exists, that this is okay and, and it continues as maybe, maybe is worse now than it was before? Yeah, I, I don't know for sure that the Operation Choke Point made it worse, but it, it certainly highlighted that companies are doing this. And, and I'm sure that a lot of like-minded, you know, business leaders, CEOs that are anti-gun saw President, Pre- President Trump's statement when he first come in, came into office, which was that we're ending this operation choke point. Banks need to treat the firearm industry fairly. All industries that are legal deserve to be treated fairly by financial institutions. And I'm, as you, as you know, a lot of these big corporations were, were not very pro-Trump. And maybe when he called for these financial institutions to treat the firearm industry fairly, some of them saw that as a way to take a shot at Trump by, by starting to have these actual discriminatory policies. And, and of course, you know, as we've seen more cancel culture and woke corporations discriminating against conservative industries in the last couple of years, I'm sure that that's also contributed to it. Other corporations are starting to experience what the firearm industry has been experiencing since experiencing since Operation Choke Point came into place. So, you know, really what we're talking about here, this is not just some gun guys griping about not being able to get financial services. I mean, this is on purpose. It's targeted. It's political. And it's just basic discrimination. I mean, it, it really goes beyond politics, don't you think, that this is just a matter of basic fairness? Could the, could the financial services sector get away with discrimination against any other class of people that are typically protected? I mean, could you do this against uh, LGBT, for example? Could you do this against uh, Jewish institutions? Could you do this anywhere else? I mean, it seems to be accepted widely that uh, this discrimination is okay against the gun people, but it's, it wouldn't be okay with any other group. Right. Yeah. I, I think the second amendment in this case is really being treated like a second class, right. And that, that's why we need this bill. Now, is there any kind of precedent here? Has the Ohio legislature ever passed a similar law that would deal with who the state does business with? Yeah. So the Ohio legislature back in 2016 um, actually passed an anti-boycott law is what it was called. And this is this is basically the same principle as our bill um, there in Ohio. This anti-boycott law that Ohio passed in 2016 and is still in effect today prohibits the state from contracting with companies that discriminate against Israel. 
And like I said, all right, this bill is really along the same lines that the state legislature stood with Israel in 2016. And today, the Second Amendment's at, at you know being threatened by these these corporations, and we need them to take the same stand for the Second Amendment. So, Chris, in your estimation, what are the chances that this bill is going to make it all the way through? It gets signed by the governor. I, I think it's a very common sense bill, and I think that there are a lot of groups that would be positively impacted by this. First of all, military personnel. Obviously, military relies on the firearm industry, the same firearm industry supply chains that provide for um, civilians and, and folks that want to exercise their Second Amendment provide for the military. So by standing with the firearm industry in this in this bill, you can stand for the military, you can stand for law enforcement that rely on the firearm industry, and you can stand for Second Amendment rights of Ohioans. And on top of all of that, I think there's an opportunity with this for it to be a, an economic driver of Ohio, because obviously when when critical services are being denied to an industry, it drags that industry down. If, if we have fair access, that's all we want is just fair access to services. Our industry can continue to grow in Ohio, create jobs, and have a greater economic impact. So I, I think there's a lot of great things that can come out of this bill, and um, I, I'm, I'm confident about the chances it has in the legislature. So is there anything else that people should know about this bill? Yeah, I do want to point out um, really quickly that on top of the Israel um, precedent that, that I talked about there in Ohio, there's actually been pushes in other states and other parts of the country um, to ad- address this issue. Um, so there's actually two bills right now at the federal level known as the Fair Access to Banking Act. Uh, one was introduced by Representative Andy Barr of Kentucky, and the second was introduced by U.S. Senator um, Kevin Kramer. And like I said, that bill is based on the same principles as, as this, and it, it's been introduced at the federal level and has a lot of support. On top of that, and, and actually part of where the this concept of our Ohio version comes from is actually based on Louisiana. So back in 2018, the state treasurer in Louisiana passed um, or worked with the state bond commission actually to keep Citigroup and Bank of America out of state bond sales saying, hey, they, they don't respect our Second Amendment rights here in our in the state, and we don't think they should be able to take part in state contracts. So that's, that's part of where the concept came from. Um, and then finally, actually, towards the end of President Trump's term in office, the U.S. Office of the Comptroller passed a rule that required, actually, that financial institutions all over the country provide fair access to all industries, including, you know, firearm industry and and a couple other industries that were being discriminated against at the time. Unfortunately, the week that President Biden came into office, he um, put a hold on that rule. So that's that's why we need this in Ohio is to really push back on that that cancel of that rule by the by the Biden administration. Well, Chris, thanks for spending time with us and explaining the Firearm Industry Non-Discrimination Act sponsored by Representative Scott Wiggum. I hope you can go back sometime to the podcast and we'll have something else to talk about, or maybe we'll talk about uh, the effect of this bill once it passes. That sounds great. Thanks so much for having me. That's all for this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. If you enjoyed the podcast, I urge you to subscribe. And please subscribe to the Buckeye Firearms Association newsletter at BuckeyeFirearms.org. If you'd like to become a member and support the work of BFA, Go to joinbfa.org. Use the discount code podcast 
to get $10 off your membership. That's joinbfa.org. We'll see you next time on Keep and Bear Radio.